Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. Today I want to speak to you from the subject, The Showdown. This was a famous moment in Scripture, maybe one of the most famous moments in all of Scripture. comes out of the book of 1 Kings uh, chapter 18. Now I've been speaking on the man Elijah and his confrontation with the wicked queen Jezebel. And I believe that that scene from the Bible is resonating in our society today. You know, history repeats itself, but so does the supernatural. That God even shows us, here's the tactics of the enemy, and and here's what this sort of spiritual season looks like. And I believe if you are to look at the spiritual season of Elijah, Jezebel, and Ahab, you will see it resonating in the spiritual season we find ourselves in right now. So I'd encourage you, read this whole chapter and read ahead because the next few weeks I'm going to be breaking down this story. This is really part one, but we'll go through part two and part three of this incredible saga where Elijah confronts Jezebel. Now don't forget, Jezebel is a picture of an antichrist spirit. She's married to Ahab, which is a picture of abdicated authority, leadership that's grown passive. And then there's Elijah, and he's the spirit of confrontation, holy, righteous confrontation. And we see Elijah coming into this scenario where there are the prophets of Baal, there are the people of Israel, there is the wicked king Ahab, and Elijah is calling them into account. And I believe this is where we find ourselves now in a godless culture. We, hear me, we are in a showdown for souls. Now, maybe more than ever. For this nation, maybe more than any other time since its inception. We are in a showdown for souls. I love that we're called awakening, because that's what we need. Awakening global, because that's where we need it. We are in a time where we must cry out. We must step up. We must raise our voice. If we are silent now, I believe, I believe that the blood of many will rest on our heads. Like Ezekiel 33 says, put a sentinel, a watchman on the wall, that when he sees the sword approaching, he will cry out and blow the trumpet in Zion so that all of the people can rise and fight for themselves. I believe there are many sentinels, many watchmen, prophets, intercessors, people of God that understand that there's a shaking but are not going to allow it to go without the word of God being spoken to it. Speak to the dry bones. Speak to the church. Speak to your emotions. Speak to your mind. If the sword is coming to get your family, do not let it just slice through and wreak devastation, for the plans of the enemies are meant to be thwarted by the word of God, by the people of God, that he might come into partnership with you, with me, that we might join the fight. And that's my goal today, is to expose the reality of our situation, where we're at in society, but not for fear or anger, and certainly not to make you feel shut down or nervous. No, I'm here to expose the reality of our situation to equip you to stand, to pray, to equip you for the fight ahead. It's a fight that our church, people of God, were meant to win. In 1 Kings chapter 18, we find that Israel had been in a drought for well over three years. And all of the streams and the rivers, they they dried up. There was a famine on the land. And this famine and drought came in the response to Elijah's word. Elijah confronted Ahab, and he he boldly um, spoke right into the midst of this situation, saying, you have turned from God. And now there will be no water, no dew on the land until I speak the word. What was Elijah doing? But he was showing the reality of their supernatural situation in their natural situation. Because make no mistake, the supernatural and the natural are linked. Jesus says, when you pray, pray like this. God, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And he's saying, they're linked, so pray heaven into earth. Don't allow 
whatever strange demonic thing that's going on in society or around us to bring hell onto earth, know that people of God need to rise, need to use their God-given voice, authority, keys to the kingdom, and begin to say, God, bring heaven down onto earth. This was the power of Elijah, who, by the way, James said, was no more righteous than you or I, but when he prayed, all of the heavens shut up. But I pray when we pray that they open up that the rain begins to come, that revival begins to come, and even if it looks dire on the earth, we do not pray from circumstance, we pray from promises. And I believe that what's happening in the earth is a shaking, an awakening, it is a cry to the people of God to rise up, use our voice once again. If we have lulled ourselves to sleep, or if we have allowed the enemy to take the ground that was meant for God's people, now is the time, right now is the moment to take back your sanity, your family, to take back your faith. Elijah is confronting Ahab. He's confronting the passivity of Ahab, and he says, until I speak, there's going to be no rain. And for three years, there was no rain. For three years, the earth responded to the word of Elijah. But now God comes to Elijah, and he says, I want you to go show yourself to Ahab, because I'm going to bring rain. Go reveal yourself, because the promise is on its way. Here comes The fullness of the promise, rain, is on its way. Well, we find Ahab, he's with a servant named Obadiah, and they're currently searching for water. Three years, three and a half years later, and they're still searching for water, as if they didn't know the problem, as if they didn't know the reason there was no water. Here they are searching for alternative sources Here they are searching for the ability to just get by, just survive, just make it through. When the reality was they shouldn't have been searching for water, they should have been searching for Elijah. In a spirit of repentance, in a spirit coming before God, even more than Elijah, they should have been searching for the God of Israel, the one that shut the clouds to begin with. But instead of searching for God, they were searching They were searching earth. It's amazing how many times we look for natural help to supernatural problems. It's amazing to me how much we will search our minds and our emotions and we'll search our habits and our diet and we'll search our friends' opinions. We'll search online. We will search as everywhere possible to find what's wrong with us when really there's a supernatural problem going on. Sometimes God's putting his, his finger on an area where he's convicting you and you feel like, I can't sleep, I can't rest. It must be my body. It must be my blood work. It must be, maybe sometimes God's saying, I want you to pray about this thing. I want you to search after me. See, here, here, Ahab, is searching all over the world for a solution that really comes from the Spirit. It really comes from the Word of God. He's searching for water, but he's abandoned the Spirit. I wonder how many times we seek comfort in our crisis as opposed to, seek, uh, as opposed to seeking God. I wonder how many times we seek comfort as opposed to confronting the cause of the pain. Instead of going to the root and the reality of the things that keep growing out of our lives, keep drying out our hearts, he knew what he needed to do. Ahab knew. He had to find Elijah. But he didn't want to do that because he knew by going to Elijah he would have to repent. And he'd have to humble himself. And he'd have to, he'd have to engage in honesty. He knew that in order to become right with God, he would have had to say, I married the wrong person. I made the wrong choice. I followed a poor excuse of an idol instead of Almighty God. I'm going to move on, but hear me. There are many, many times when we have supernatural, spiritual problems that we search for earthly solutions that do not exist when the reality is, You know what to do. It's time to come back to God. Be honest. Be humble. Repent. 
Say, God, I brought this on. God, I let this in. God, I made this decision. God, I drifted. It's amazing how many times I'll hear people say, you know, I was going to church, but, you know, I just don't feel God anymore. God's kind of drifted from me. No, you drifted from God. Come to a place of truth. Come back. Find Elijah. Repent. And let God begin to bring the rain. Instead, they're searching for alternative sources of sustenance. And, and, and now, Ahab has brought this man Obadiah in, in with him. And what we learn about Obadiah is he was actually a really incredible man. He was a man of God. He was a modern Mordecai that was put in the, the, the palace by God in an influential position amongst ungodly people. Right? There, there's, there's Jezebel. And there's Ahab, and they're anti-God. But here is a man of God who's silently saved, but he's surrounded by an anti-Christ culture. Does that sound familiar to anybody? I want you to know God has put you where he's put you, not for you to get out, but for you to be holy, set apart. Even if you are silently saved, know that God has put you in positions of influence. I believe there's people watching me right now. You have positions in government. You have positions in companies. You have positions in families that is going to create superpower, young people. You have been positioned by God. And maybe the culture around you doesn't match the reality within you. But hear me, do not allow the truth of your heart, that Christ within you, to be diluted by the culture or circumstances around you. Here was Obadiah. And what I love about this man is that he was saved. He was useful. He was a leader. He was positioned all while being surrounded by Jezebels, Ahabs. And yet he didn't let without come within. I want you to hear me. Church, just because we are in a very strange circumstance, just because we are in an antichrist culture, does not mean that that has to get in us or direct us. But this man, he knew God, and he knew who he was, and he knew where God had positioned him. Hear me, if you don't know who you are, God's not going to be able to use you where you are. But once you begin to say, I know who I am, and I know what God's put in me, then, then other people's opinions or pushing or trying to use me will not change my orientation. I am oriented towards Christ, and I will pull my life towards Christ, and I will use my influence towards Christ. Hear me, there has been many silent yet saved Christians, and now is the time for you to step up, to be silent no more. And I understand the problem of being in a culture where people hate God. Right now, I mean, you are sur you're surrounded. If you're in the world, working in the industries, you are surrounded by a cancel culture. In fact, faith right now is out of popularity. You know you're working, but you know if people were to find out kind of who you are, it might cause some problems down the line. And what the enemy would want to do is he would want to intimidate you. He'd want you to keep you silent, never working for him. We find Obadiah, no one knows who he is, but he knows who he is, and he hasn't stopped working. He, he actually separates and saves 100 prophets who Jezebel was seeking to kill. He's in a place to save them. Hear me, Christians of influence. I understand that it seems like it's increasingly dangerous to profess your faith. Maybe you're going to lose some friendships. Some people might lose their jobs. But making a stand for who you are is always worth the cost. If you've been silent yet saved for all this time, I commend you for not giving way to the world. But I believe we're coming into a time, a showdown, where your silence must now transform into bold proclamation. I believe it for pastors, churches, but I really believe it for the Obadiahs, for the Christian leaders, amongst people who are desperately searching for God and have figured out that Jezebel doesn't have the answers. 2 Corinthians 5 says this, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. And God is making his appeal through us. We implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. You are Christ's ambassador, the representation of him on earth. 
This is who God sends. This is who God sends Elijah to meet. He meets Obadiah. And now Elijah says, go get Ahab. And he says, I, I can't do it. It's too dangerous. Because he knows how like, the Holy Spirit works. He knows how God works. He says, I'm going to leave here. And you're going to do some supernatural thing and be transported out of here. I'm going to bring Ahab back, who, by the way, he's looking to kill you. Obadiah tells him, he's going to all these different nations. He really hates your guts. And I'm going to bring him here and say, Elijah's right here. And when I come back, you're going to be gone, transported by the Holy Spirit to who knows where. And he says, I'm not sticking my neck out now. But Elijah says, now's the time. I'll be here. It's no longer time to be silent. It's time to reveal who you are. And it's time to step up. Hear me, the season, this is my whole sermon, of silence is finished. Ahab shows up, brought to Elijah by Obadiah and Ahab. He sees him and says, is it you, O troubler of Israel? You see from Ahab's perspective who Elijah was, there to just cause trouble. There it is. First thing out of his mouth is an accusation. Is it you? You caused trouble. Is it you? You've stirred some stuff up. Is it you? You don't bring peace around here. Whenever you show up, bad stuff happens. Here's the accusation. You're a troubler of Israel. The reality is he's the prophet of Israel, the only one left. But the enemy wants to turn what God wants to use, his confrontive nature. The enemy loves to take what God put in you for his good and accuse you with it as if it's a negative. I hope there is a little bit of a troublemaker in you. Christian, there needs to be a little bit of solid rebellion in you. Jesus was a troublemaker. Everywhere he went, trouble popped up, and it was with all the right people. Jesus got all the right people frustrated. I hope there's a little bit of that in you, where you are unafraid of people's uh, snappy responses. Is it you, oh troubler of Israel? Is that all you got? I love Elijah's response to him. He doesn't back down because here's the tactic of the enemy. This is going to help you. Here's the tactic of, of the enemy. He always wants to accuse you to shut you down. That's his goal. His goal is to, to silence you, to make you feel fearful or, or intimidated or quiet. His goal is that you would shut down. The enemy will accuse you so that you back away. Remember the Bible says he's the accuser of the brethren. If you're being accused, Know that you're part of God's family. <laughs> That's one of the ways you know you're God's child is if Satan hates you and if he lies to you and if he pours out mistruths on you and if he tries to condemn you. Rejoice and know God's got me because the enemy hates me. The enemy keeps coming after me. And so, and so that was his goal. It's the goal of the enemy. It's one of his tactics is to accuse you, to shut you down. And what's his response? <laughs> I love Elijah's response. He says, me, I'm the troubler. He says, your whole family abandoned God. You and everyone around you abandoned God. I'm the, he says, you're the one who caused trouble for Israel. I'm just exposing it. There's two different types of trouble going on here. There's the evil that was initiated, and then there's the confrontation that's the response. Both are trouble. One's of God. One's of man, one's demonic. One's of God, one's of evil. And so I love that Elijah's response isn't like, no, that's not what I meant. I didn't mean that. I, look, I'm not, I'm not trying to, I'm so sorry if you took it the wrong way. No, 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 no. I apologize for my, for my tone. Um, really, I just, I, I don't want to hurt my witness. I, I don't want to hurt my witness. I love God and I love you, but I just feel like some of the things that you're doing don't necessarily fully line up with, in the end, Elijah says, take this whatever way you want to take this. I didn't start the trouble. You have become anti-God. You have gone after false things. You have opened the doors to the demonic in Israel, and I am here to say that's enough. Now, the enemy wants to say, but you're imperfect. I know. I got it. I got it. We're all imperfect. But if sin and past sin is the thing that's going to ever keep us from being used, God can't use anyone. Listen, perfection is only found in Jesus. I may be imperfect, but I can be righteous. Not out of perfection, but out of, out of grace. That God took his perfection and he put it upon me. And now God will partner with me. Not because of my perfection, but because of God's righteousness in me. The blood that's on me. So I can stand and tell the truth 
even though I'm imperfect. Elijah wasn't standing and telling the truth because he was Jesus. He was doing it because God called him. And his response isn't to back down or be afraid, but to get into some good trouble. Because God will not ever allow his people in his church to take the path of apathy. It's just not who God is. And confronting evil is never pleasant, but it's always necessary. Hear me, Christian. The road ahead might be bumpy, but stand for truth and shut the devil up. Shut him up. How dare he stand and accuse you? He's the devil. You ever think about that? You're going to accuse me? You're the freaking devil. What, you're going to say I'm a bad guy? You're the devil. You're the actual devil. Oh, man, that's so funny. He needs to throw it back in his face. Yeah, I know, I'm imperfect. Thank you, Jesus, for grace. But I'm going to stand for truth, despite the cost. Confronting evil, it's not pleasant, but it's always necessary. So, church, I'm, I'm asking for you to stand as Elijah's in this next season. To come back to the Spirit of God and the Spirit of boldness that the Spirit of God will put on you and make your move. The other day I was sitting by a pond and it was completely still, 100%. And a frog jumped in in the corner and it had the ripples. I noticed it, thought about catching it for my son, thought that I'm not going to touch a frog. A couple moments later, as I was looking out on the pond, I noticed that the ripples had gone from the edge all the way out, hundreds of feet out on the pond, still rippling. Less so, but you could see the actual effect. And I was thinking, when there's complete stillness, one action could have a very large effect, a rippling effect. When no one else stands, when no one else is brave, when no no one else will speak the truth, your move can create a large effect. And I'm believing that now is the moment to not just be on the receiving end of the accusation of the enemy, but to begin to stand, pray, speak, and let's see a ripple effect come from it. Alexander Solzhenitsyn, he said this, and he's speaking on what it will take to bring change. He says, you can resolve to live your life with integrity. How can we bring change? Let your credo be this. Let the lie come into the world. Let it even triumph, but not through me. That is how you can begin to bring change. The simple step of a courageous individual is not to partake in the lie. One word of truth outweighs the world. We see that Elijah's unafraid of the confrontation that's coming and when he's done, he, he says to Ahab, let's have it out. Let's go to Mount Carmel and gather all the people of Israel there. Remember how I told you there's seasons and cycles to all of this? Mount Carmel overlooks the valley of Megiddo, which is where we get Armageddon from in Revelation. That this is a valley of conflict. This is an area of conflict that will be of conflict even again. You understand that, there, that God is speaking about something that the stand Elijah made then Someone, something, some church is going to have to make again. And so here he gathers all the people, and now Elijah, he confronts them. And he says, it's time to choose. He says, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. No longer can your non-choice be an option. Now is the time to choose what side you are going to come down on. I'm here to tell you, Awakening Church, the day of neutrality is over. It is over. The day of decision has come. Who are you? Who is your family? And who are we? Revelation 3.16 says, So because you are lukewarm, you're neutral, you're nothing, and neither hot nor cold, I will spew you, King James, I will spew you 
out of my mouth. What's God saying? At least understand what side you're on. Be hot, be filled with passion, be filled with vigor, be ready to go, or be cold to the things of God. But those of you that are a mix, the time has come for you to choose a side. Will you be on the side of righteousness or on the side of selfishness? And no longer can the excuse be, ah, I'm a spiritual person. You know, I'm not into, I'm not into organized religion, you know, but I love God. I, I love God, but I just don't like it when it's organized, as if unorganized religion is better. I, I, I'm, I'm into vibes. You know, I, I pray sometimes. I just don't know who I'm praying to. And I believe something is up there. I'm just not quite sure what. Spiritualism, supernaturalism is not enough to bring salvation. We've just got to declare it. And, and maybe you say, well, that's not me. I believe in God, but I'm not quite sure about, you know, like I, I get some parts of the Bible and I go to church here and there. It's not enough anymore. I, 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 I'm here to tell you the line is being drawn. And, and it's being drawn between culture and Christ. You're, you're either an Obadiah, an Elijah, or you're an Ahab and a Jezebel. There is no other option. You're going to have to choose today whom I'm going to serve, because you are going to serve something. You are going to serve someone. So who will it be? And, 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 and the day of saying, well, like I'm a good person. Listen, goodness has never saved anyone. Only godness brings salvation. And today is the day, church, where you must choose the one true God or the false ideology of culture. Look at Isaiah. God says, I am the Lord, and there is no other. There is no God beside me. I think about that story in the Old Testament where they kept setting up, I believe it was an idol of Baal. could have been the Asherah pole, but I believe it was Baal. The Philistines set it up next to the Ark of the Covenant, but every day they came in and the idol had fallen face down before the Ark of the Covenant. God's saying, you don't get to even stand in my presence unless I say so. Make no mistake, church, God will fight for his people's attention. He will fight for his people's attention. You might be saying, well, Jordan, what are you saying? I am saying, hear me, that it is time, church, to make your choice in this showdown because there's something going on in the supernatural and it is for your soul and the soul of the future. Will it be God? Or will it be evil? Elijah confronts all the people on Mount Carmel, gathers them all together, and he says, how long will you go between these two different doctrines? Reminds me of what Paul says to the Ephesians. How long will you be driven by every new wave of doctrine, moved around by the new winds of new teaching? How long will you be unsure? How long will you want to make sure you don't offend? How long will you, will you say, ah, there's different ways of seeing this? How long? At some point, you have to say he's either God or he's not. And his word is true or it isn't. Or I'll obey his commands or I won't. But there must come a day of decision. And he says this to the people of Israel. He says, now make your choice. Will you serve God or the false idol of Baal? And what was the people's response? Whew. Silence. People sat there like they were kids being chastised. No one wanted to step forward. No one wanted to say anything, even, even Obadiah. Everyone's just, just quiet. I don't want to make a choice because I'm afraid of what everyone else is going to do. Like no one else is stepping forward. No, like none of my coworkers... My own family doesn't really totally agree. Look, church isn't even open. I'm going to say something? I can't even sing. Look, I, I believe it. I, don't, I, I obviously know that that false idol that I built in my backyard, I know that that God has no power. But who's going to say it? Our silence can bring judgment on our own heads. Our silence and acquiescence 
is not acceptable any longer. God's searching for people of conviction that will step forward, be who they are, despite the consequences. People were silent because they were afraid of the prophets of Baal. There's, there's hundreds of prophets forgetting that there's thousands of people. If they all moved as one, they would be unstoppable. But they're afraid of these unelected prophets put in there by false god Jezebel and to bring in a counterfeit religion, and, and they just feel like they got no power to say anything. And here's Elijah, but he's only one guy. And where has he been these last three years? We're going to wait. We're going to see how this thing plays out. And then once we figure out who's going to win, we'll jump on their side. But God says no longer. Choose you this day who you will serve. A silent church can bring no salvation. A silent church can bring no revival. A quiet and afraid people, the response of the unconvinced, saying, I don't know, I'm not sure, there's many different ways to view it, is no longer allowed. Now you can turn this sermon off and say, well, I disagree. It's fine, I'm just telling you, this is a truth that's happening in the supernatural. So what, you could go listen to a million other pastors, prophets, go, go ahead. I'm just telling you, in the end, you're going to have to pass through this fire. In the end, you're going to have to make this choice. You're going to have to make a move. Because the showdown is coming. And it's a supernatural one. And it is God versus evil. And you're going to have to choose a side. And here's the reality. You know the truth in your heart. You know the truth in your heart. You know what resonates. You have discernment. You have the Holy Spirit, church. No longer can we ignore what our heart is saying for the false leadership of ungodly people. No longer can we ignore what the Spirit of God is saying for the wicked passivity of Ahab's opinions. Showdown is coming. And will God's, will God's people speak up or will they forever lose their voice? Liberty. Is it God-given or is it state-permitted? Do we have no opinion? Life in the womb and outside it. Is it God-breathed or is it non-essential? Use your voice, church. Speak right to the Spirit. The indoctrination of our children into extreme sexual confusion. Is it exploitation or is it liberation? Do we have any opinion? The division by every imaginable method sown into our culture and our people by the megaphone of media. Do they love us? Do they desire unity and brotherhood? Do the people that write these books, start these courses, do they want for you to have a strong, faith-filled family? Here's, here's my question to you. Can God bring radical salvation, or should we just trust in man-made systems or our own strength? Do we, not, do we need God, or, or can we do it on our own? My call to you, church, is come back to God. Come back to God. My fear right now is that we have silent Christians that want to be loved by the world more than they love God. But I hear the Spirit of God. I hear the Spirit of God speaking to the church, speaking to our hearts, and saying, rise and be counted amongst the righteous. There's a story in the Old Testament about a queen named Esther. And there was a wicked spirit that rose up in a man named Haman. And he wanted to create a genocide of God's people, Jewish people. And he went to the king of Persia. And he had him sign some documents that he didn't fully understand. 
send out some decrees that he didn't understand the consequences of. But he signed away the life of all the Jewish people in the empire of Persia. But see, Esther was a Jewish princess, married to that king of Persia. And her uncle Mordecai saw what was going on. He was another Obadiah, set in a place of influence so that at the right moment he might use his influence for the rescue of many souls. Mordecai came to Esther and he said, right now is the moment where you must make your move. And she said, I can't. I'm not being invited in. The door's closed. The king has to invite me into his presence and the invitation's not coming. All of the practical obstacles I can't seem to get over. It seems as if the door to government, the door to my marriage, it's all closed. What can I do? And this is when he said to Esther, he said, do not think that just because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. Don't think if you don't do anything, you'll make it through. Don't think if you don't step up, you and your family are going to survive and your children. Don't think your convictionless Christianity is going to birth a passion for Christ in your children. Don't think you're going to escape what's coming. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews, they will arise from another place. Relief and deliverance will come on this nation, for God's people. They will come because God is a deliverer. But if you don't say anything, if you don't do anything now, you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, but that you have come to your royal position. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are God's own. Who knows that you have the authority that you have, that your prayer reaches the very presence of God? Who knows that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this? We are in a moment in time where people are searching for truth. They are searching for those with convictions. They're searching for Christ. And I'm wondering if the church will stand and cry out, begin to pray, begin to find their courage, begin to do what it takes that the whole nation and its soul might turn back to its Savior. God will bring deliverance, but will he bring it through us? Will he bring it through you, your faith, your prayers, your church? We are engaging in a showdown for the soul of mankind. My question is, church, will we cry out right now in this moment for God? In the next few weeks, I'm going to talk to you about this challenge that Elijah presents with the, the prophets of Baal. He says, let's see whose God will respond to our cry. That's the showdown right now in the nation's Whose God will respond? The idols have fallen, all of them. The structures and systems have broken, all of them. But if the church cries out, I wonder if our God will respond. For such a time as this. The enemy wants you to forget who you are. He wants to accuse you into silence, condemn you into apathy. He loves that our doors are shut and our mouths are closed. We have no opinion because we're afraid to express it. He loves it so he can wreak havoc both now and for future generations. But when the church speaks up, it speaks with authority for it's backed by the Holy Spirit. And there's the thunderclap of an amen when you speak the words of God that though heaven and earth passes away, those words are eternal. When you begin to speak them, they wreak havoc on the enemy. Elijah's unafraid of the prophets of Baal. It's 1 verse 450. 
Well, those were the same odds that Gideon had, and he won that battle. And Elijah's about to win another one. Though the odds seem against us, if God is for us, who can be against us? Though it seems like what's happening in the natural is unsustainable, if the supernatural comes, reconciliation and revitalization can come in a moment's notice. The people of the earth right now, they, des- they desire the display of God's power. And there's nothing wrong with that. That desire is righteous. That desire is good. Gideon says, where are your wonderful works? Moses says, show me your glory. Even the name Jezebel, it means where's the prince? You see, the whole time, she was really just searching for the true authority. Where is the prince? But because the king Ahab didn't show her, because the people didn't show her, she came into the the nation of God's own people and yet never met Jehovah. Where's the prince? She's searching. When I look at these young people out on the streets, that's the voice that I hear them crying out. Where's the prince? Where's salvation? Where's the real? Where's the authority? Where's the power? Where's the son of God? Jezebel couldn't find the prince, so she had to go to the counterfeit. She went to Baal because no one introduced her to the righteous God at the right moment. But hear me right now is our moment, church, to arise out of condemnation and out of apathy, to answer that call, the desire for God's glory, the desire for God's wonderful works, the desire for God's righteousness. Where's the prince? We have the prince. He is the Prince of Peace. He is our wonderful counselor whose government will be on his shoulders. His name is Jesus. And over 2,000 years ago, he came and he took upon himself our sin, our shame, our iniquity, all those things that would keep us from God, he took upon himself. Why? So that we might have that question answered. He says, here I am. I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, but the way is still open and the light is still shining and the good is still being dispensed. Will you come? All you who are weary and are heavy laden, are frustrated by a dead religion and burned out by all your works, all of you who seem like you cannot move forward in a society that that certainly is against you, would you come to the prince? who extends the scepter. Esther shouldn't have been able to walk into that king's chamber. She had to have been invited. But she was so desperate. She says, I'm going in, despite the consequences. When she walked in, all the crowd looked at her, shocked. Whoa. Whoa, you only come if you're invited. Whoa, this is for the select few, the elite, the nobles. This is for the people that got it put together, positioned, prosperous. You don't come unless the king calls. But she says, I'm desperate. I'm desperate for my kids. I'm desperate for my future and my people. I don't know about you, but I'm desperate for America. I love this nation and I love the world. And I am not going to hate the nation that God put me as a missionary to. I'm going to pray for it. And I'm going to fast for it. And I'm going to speak God's word over it. That radical and righteous change comes to it through us. Esther steps into the, to the chamber of the king. And all the courts say, what's going to happen? Surely he's going to sentence her to death. Because that's what's deserved. The Bible says, for all have fallen short of the glory of God. We're all condemned. We all deserve death. But there's the king. And he's on his throne. And he is not against his people. The church is his bride. And he loves the church. There's so many people 
saying so many negative things against the church, some of them in high positions of power, nobility. And they, they hurl accusations at the church. And they mock it. You and me. Because of our sin or because of our shortcomings or failures. They can point out so many different flaws. But it's Christ's bride. And he loves it. And though the law says we should die, his heart says, come to me. His heart says, I've been waiting for you. I love you. I desire to be with you. I believe the best about you. We got things that we need to change. But come to me. And I'll, I'll convict. And I'll empower. And I'll bring change. May the church, that is the righteous bride of Jesus Christ, walk towards the king. Because as the king of Persia extended the scepter to Esther, so Jesus extends the way open to you right now. To us. That was, that's what Elijah was doing. He was giving the people an opportunity. You don't have to follow Jezebel. She, she's not even an Israelite. She's from another kingdom. I wonder how long... The church is going to follow the tenets of a religion that is anti-Christ. We have prophets who are parrots of the latest ideas. Preachers that preach soft socialism from the pulpit, strained through spiritual words. Don't, that don't understand that really it's an antichrist ideology that has cloaked itself in a political cloak. And now here we're bringing it into the pulpit. But it hates the family. And it hates the people of God. And it hates the church. And we're going to listen to them. And we can't say the truth. We can't say the truth. Oh, did you hear Jordan's sermon? Did you hear it? They might block them on Twitter. What are we afraid of? We hold the thing that breaks chains. We need to know it and quote it and use it. We have a society filled with people that are anti-God. And all of those in positions of authority seem to be anti-God. There's the prophets of Baal, our celebrities, our living idols. But I hear the spirit of Elijah say, how much longer are you going to follow people that don't love you? Ideologies that hate your future and hate your family. How much longer are we going to be silent about the things that matter? Truth. How much longer are we going to pretend that the Holy Spirit isn't ringing alarm bells in our hearts? You have discernment of spirits and you can sense when something's off. Church, popularity was never your calling. Persecution was your calling. And I believe it's time for the bride of Christ to pay the price of truth. Jesus says, anyone that wants to come after me, you have to deny yourself. No comfort here. Take up your cross. Sacrifice. And then follow me. I can't follow Christ and culture. I can't follow God and government. I have to choose Jesus. Jesus. There's no other name that's worthy of your life. There's no other name that holds the power of the universe in it. There's no other name that re releases mercy, not condemnation. There's no other name that can save.
Jesus. Come back to him, church. Come back to salvation. The doors are open. The scepter is extended. He welcomes his people. And I pray that as you take a bold step, whatever it is, God's positioned you very uniquely. But even as I'm speaking, I believe the Holy Spirit is resonating within you. He's giving you ideas. He's confirming some things right now. Even as I speak, I believe those things are being put into your heart by God. And now's the time to step up, to show up, to speak out, to cry out. We are engaged in a showdown for souls. Make a move, church. Make a move. And you'll see that you will not move alone. But there are many, many, many people that are just waiting for the courageous few to come to Christ. Where's the prince? He's right here. His name is Jesus. If you've never made Jesus your Lord and your Savior, today's the day. Right now is the hour. Maybe you've drifted, done your own thing. I want to invite you to come back to Jesus. I'm going to pray this prayer. And if you stick around for a moment afterwards, I'll tell you where to go. And for those of you that, that feel this resonating call, I'm going to call you for the first step that you can take is, is to begin to pray. Speak into the supernatural. We have something we're calling the Sentinel Project that we're running for this next season, next few months. If you want, you can go to awakeningchurch.org slash Sentinel Project. Here's what I'm asking for you to do. Choose 30 minutes a day and begin to pray. One voice, one heart, one church. We're going to pray together. And we're going to pray that God begins to release his people and bring salvation. Would you sign up? More than that, would you pray? On Wednesdays, we're fasting all day, sunrise to sunset. Why? Because when we don't know what to do, we're going to go to God. We're going to receive his direction. But what we're not going to do is remain silent. Thanks for listening to the Awakening Podcast. We hope this message has encouraged you. If you want to learn more about our church, visit us online at awakening.global. We'll see you soon. Thank you.